Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of the Localization Fireside Chat podcast and YouTube channel, where industry leaders in the localization business, they come to share their captivating experiences, insights, innovations. Join us, if you will, across our channels. This is across all the podcast channels. We're available on all podcast channels and YouTube. And be part of the discussion. Come join the conversation. And if you're interested in telling your interesting and intriguing story on the localization fireside chat, we welcome you. And please let me know by emailing me and we'll schedule you in for a conversation. Today, I am honored and have the privilege to be with a, a guest that is near and dear to my heart. He's a friend, a colleague, and an, an old coworker. We work together. His name is Matt Grotenstein. And Matt, welcome to the channel. Thank you, Robin. And we'd appreciate having you with me this morning, Matt. And I, Matt is a got a great announcement to make this morning, starting a new company called Boston AI. I can't wait to dive into the details about this new initiative. Matt has always been the entrepreneur and the and the, and the you know pushing forward in initiatives and new initiatives and ideas. I really appreciated that through all the years that I've known and and, and worked with Matt. So welcome to the channel, Matt. And if you don't mind, for those who don't know you, please tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you on a personal and professional level and get to know, get the audience to know you a little bit better. Sure. Well, I appreciate that, Robin. That's a, that's a good introduction. I actually got my start in the localization industry due to Robin. I don't know if Robin knows this story. I don't know if I ever told him this one, but I was working for KPMG back in 2008 during the financial crisis. And I got a call from a recruiter that was recruiting for a company called CLS Communication, which was eventually bought by Lionbridge, which is how Robin got to Lionbridge. But I was working for KPMG and I wasn't loving what I was doing. And, and I got a call from a recruiter and met Robin and happened to really enjoy talking to Robin and liking Robin. And that's how I got into the localization industry. And fast forward, God, it's been, that was 2008, 2009. So it's been about 14, 15 years. I was at CLS for a number of years, and then I was at a company called Ortspo, which is a language technology company. I started a Chinese social media analytics company with a couple of partners that we then sold to an LSP. And I spent seven years, well, six and a half years at Claro, which is a mid-sized LSP that we took, that me and the executive team there took to about 3x revenue of when we started. And most recently, I started my own company, Boston AI. Well, great. And uh, thanks for the summary. I really appreciate that. In fact, I do remember when you first, which we first started talking and working together, I was just, you know, preparing to this discussion this morning. I was just going through my files, believe it or not. I still have, you know, the, the, I don't, I don't know if you recall that, but I'm just going to bring it to your memory now. I still have your 90 day plan when you, uh, and I really appreciated the fact that we've worked, we moved the needle quite a bit in that uh, operation in, in, in New York yep. uh, or Weehawken, I guess the, the location of that office. Now tell me a little bit about AI, Boston AI. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on this channel and everybody is, you know, 
having the conversation from two sides. I guess the first side is AI is a, we don't know if it's going to be a threat or an opportunity. There are some who are on the camp of saying, you know, it's a threat. I've got people sending me messages. They're saying, I lost my job. They're translators. I lost my job because of AI. And there are some other people who are saying, oh, wow, it's a huge opportunity. Let's embrace it. So it depends, I guess, what function you play in the, in the industry. You could be viewing this from different lenses. And you obviously saw an opportunity. Otherwise, you wouldn't have started the company. So tell me a little bit about that. I actually see it from a positive perspective. And, and I, I don't ever see AI replacing translators or humans or interpreters in the process. I see it aiding them. And I can, I, I can speak for the company that I started and what our vision and mission and goals are. And that's not to replace translators. That's to focus on two very core areas. One is interpretation and using, using AI and using tools that are out there to be able to aid interpreters, whether that's better selecting interpreters for the subject matter, whether that's getting notes up on the screen, screen for the interpreter, whether that's taking the notes during the call and, and distributing them after the call, like Zoom does today when, when Zoom takes a transcript. I think that there's a lot of advances out there in interpretation that, that AI is bringing. And then also AI data creation and AI data collection. So those two areas, interpretation and artificial intelligence, training data, collection, annotation, and labeling are the two areas we're focusing on at Boston AI. Oh, excellent. Now, a lot of our listeners who are entrepreneurs, I guess, in the industry or professionals in the, in professionals in the industry, who worked like you and me worked many years doing localization, right? So, I mean, to a large extent, AI is a sort of a black box for them in terms of how can, and, and I'm not talking about a actual doing of this service or performing service, just how do I build business around that? For those who are interested in, they currently have a company or they're working for a company or whatever the scenario happened to be in expanding, adding services to their business or starting a brand new business in AI. So if I was a translation company or a localization firm and I'm interested in adding services in AI space, what is the recommendation from your side and what do you think they should do first sure. to get to that bridge? Uh, that's a good question. You're talking about services companies and companies that are traditionally services companies. And what they've, what I've seen from LSPs that I've been at, whether that's in a consulting capacity or as an employee, is that they're really good at partnering with different and new technologies. They may, some may be good at building their own technologies, but a lot, I, I think, I, I think that there are a lot of tools out there that have already been built that that are really advancing the localization industry. Tools like crowd in tools like phrase that are that are doing the work that are that are at the forefront of AI in the localization industry and I think a good LSP has two choices right they could either build their own technology they could buy a technology they could partner with the technology so they're really three choices build borrow partner and I think the LSPs that I've been at have been great at partnering with technologies in the past some have been good at building their own technology, but I think that there's a lot of technologies out there that people can partner with. I know that was a long answer to a short question. 
No, no, you're, you're basically what you're saying is expand your horizon. Don't be afraid of trying it and don't be afraid of it. You know, don't be afraid of trying to figure out a brand new service. And so the biggest question for general question, I guess, for the, for many people in the industry, can I transform or can I go through a metamorphosis as a business to go from what I would call legacy to a new AI based services and you've worked with many companies in the industry or several companies in the industry wondering what is the capability from your opinion i i know we don't have hard data but we're just having a coffee chat here this morning what do you think from your perspective in terms of the ability for the industry to go through that metamorphosis i i think it's going to be tough but they have to what i'm hearing on the street from companies that are leaving their LSPs and leaving longtime LSPs is that they're worried about AI and technology too. They're hearing about advances with ChatGTP and other platforms on content, generative AI and content creation. So they're going to their LSPs and they're saying, hey, I need you to look at technologies. I need you to come to me and recommend technologies that are going to drive quality, that are going to drive turnaround time, and they're going to drive cost reduction. And the LSPs that aren't looking at tools like that and aren't looking how to sort of modernize their offering are going to get left behind. It's already started. So basically what you're saying, yeah. So basically what you're saying, Matt, is it's almost like, you know, if you don't change, you know, the new world is not going to be kind to the people who are left behind almost in, in terms of the evolution of their services. Correct. And it won't happen overnight. It won't happen in the next six months or a year, but it'll oh, definitely. Yeah, it will happen. Now, let's dissect a little bit, go into the details around in general, like some of the AI services that there are a possibility for, you know, somebody who is in the language business to offer or to expand. And it can't be, I mean, we're hosting... I'm hosting a, a, a panel discussion on how the, the localization industry and knowledge-based economy, they're very integrated. They're part and parcel of which, in fact, you know, the, knowledge, the localization industry to a large extent could be considered a micro-economy within the knowledge-based economy, mm-hmm. micro-industry, knowledge-based economy. So what it means, what it means is the same thing that we've been saying for, I mean, I'm saying, I've been saying it personally for about 21 years now, I've been in the industry is that it is not about taking a word from one language and put it into another language. That's one piece. There are in the chain of reaction that takes place between the creation to publishing, to consuming of content. There are many steps that they're happening and our localization industry tend to focus on one sliver for that. And it's, if you think about it, a pie and they're taking only one small piece of that pie. And I'm talking about wallet share, which is revenue. And I'm talking about expanding relationship with customers to go after other businesses, other types of services. And the, and the survivability of the industry or the company that they're affected within the industry. So, and when I talk about survivability, I'm also mentioning that the, you know, the topic of discussion today is AI, which eventually AI is going to get better. AI is going to get improved. And we're at, the, we're at the first cornerstone of AI development, to be honest with you. Yep. And the from what I'm seeing, with a little bit more development, et cetera, could be getting a lot of a lot better, a lot, lot better faster. 
So the question is for these individuals or these companies, I need to transform or I have to develop an exit strategy because one of the co other conversations that I'm having is with consultants who are brokers who are trying to figure out, you know, who wants to sell their company, who is exiting, who is trying to figure out what to do with their, with, with their world. And it sounds like there are a lot more conversations, sorry for the, uh, for the monologue here, but it sounds like there's a lot more conversation happening on either I transform or I exit. That's interesting. What's your thoughts on any of that? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that I think that that, that that sort of points to us being at an inflection point, and smart owners knowing. And I could probably name a few who are in the selling bucket. It's it's time for smart owners to to either make a change or get out of the way and and let a larger company who's maybe made that change or making that change, like a Lion Bridge or a a TransPerfect, sort of take the reins. Yeah. So do you feel, yeah, I mean, we're at an inflection point. Absolutely. We are. I mean, do you feel that eventually, so right now we're going through a transition, right? So eventually after we pass through the transition period, do you feel like we will have two sides of the market? One that says, Hey, listen, I want to work in a very artisan way of working when it comes to languages. And the other side of the market could be saying, no. I just want full automation. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I think there will be that dichotomy. I don't think that the artisan side of it will get will get gobbled up or or get obliterated by technology. I think that there will always be a need for that. There'll always be that type of translation in the market. <laughs> I think a good LSP or a survival. You were talking about survivability. I think a good LSP that's going to survive is going to be able to perform different types of services. It's either going to be completely automated or it's going to be human intervention or it's going to be completely human. There's going to be sort of a menu. At least that's what I would like to see. And that might not necessarily be one LSP. That might be one smaller LSP partnering with two or three LSPs. I know for my business, I've got a partnership with a, with an LSP that is more of a, more of a custom shop, more of what I would say is a creative shop. And if someone comes to me and says, I don't really, I'm not really that interested in AI, I say to them, well, I've got a solution for you. So I think to answer your question directly, I think a good large LSPs, they can decide what they want to do. They can, a, a, a Lionbridge or a, a, a Smartling or a TransPerfect can say, we want everything translated by technology. I think, and I think the mid-size LSPs, and there will always be a market for mid-size LSPs, are going to say, we can do human intervention, we can do completely human, we partner with a company that can do completely human, and that would sort of be my view. Okay, got it. Now, on the, on the services that pos there are possibilities within the AI, uh, and I know you mentioned uh, data annotation, let's stop a second on annotation for a second, and I did hear that there are many ways now of doing annotation of data. In fact, there are some automation happening for data annotation. So if I was to take as an example, and I'm trying to help some, some people out there in our industry here on this one, is as an example, take data annotation. I know there's, you know, my route of services that we can offer in, in, in when it comes to AI, but let's talk on this one. Could you, elaborate a little bit like 
image annotation, text annotation, audio, video, semantic segmentation, I don't know, time series in annotation, etc. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I'm telling you, like for this particular conversation that we're having this morning, I had to do some homework last night. So okay. that was my homework. <laughs> so I'm sorry, what's your specific question? You were, you were so just... The question is like on annotation. So can you elaborate a little bit on this one? So there is the automated part and there is the non-automated part with the required menu people to do people to do it manually. Let's talk about this one for a second and see what your perspective is on that. Yeah. And the second thing is, can a, let's say I'm a translator, I'm a project manager in a localization firm. Can I get trained on this and can I move with the time, if you will? I'll take those questions. Yeah, those are good questions. I'll take them backwards. I've seen LSPs, project manager, low project managers, low QA specialists, low language leads, data annotation, project managers or specialists, part of the data annotation process. And they've really got to be bought into it. I've seen it go good and I've seen it go bad. And where I've seen it go bad, it's where it's sort of just forced upon them. They don't understand it. They're not bought into it and it's thrust upon them. So I would say those resources have the skills to do the work required. They've just got to be bought into it because again, you're typically talking about proud people who are artisans at what they do and they've done it for a while. Languages is, is an art to them. It's not just something that, that, that changes by day. So that's my opinion on that. And then there are a lot of tools out there right now. There are a lot of annotation tools. There's a lot of, we still do a lot of human annotation. We don't use a lot of automated tools. So I can only speak to the human annotation side of it, but there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done in English and there's a lot of work to be done in other languages. So it very much mirrors a lot of the localization workflow when you're using both tools and, and a purely human element. So I think that if your aim is to give some advice to LSPs that are thinking about getting into this business, I certainly don't want to be competing with them, but it's a, it's a very interesting and tangentiary business to the localization industry with a lot of similarities in the workflow. And <clears throat> so what about the other side of AI, like training data collection and sort of like domain specific data enrichment, quality control data, parallel corporate for machine translation, sentiment analysis, data sets, text to speech transcriptions, etc. Oh, you really did your <laughs> I know I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to get ready for this one. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about let's talk about one of those. So let's talk about training machine learning engines. So training voice engines. So one of the projects we're working on is a project to help a major organization that builds call center technology, voice-driven call center technology. And our role as Boston AI is to be able to feed that organization with as much data, as much real and synthetic call center data as possible in a multitude of languages and to be able to redact that data for personal information, be able to label that data for different points in the conversation, different inflection points in that, conver in, in that conversation. And, and that's really, really interesting work that we've been able to, to do over the past few months and sort of get our start as, a, as an organization. 
So, so you know, the bottom line is that in many ways, once you get into this as as a as as an organization or as an individual, there are many ways this thing could evolve. Like, I mean, there are many services you could put around. Exactly, and if you're a smart LSP owner who's who's who is, you know has a mid-sized <clears throat> couple of million dollar LSP and has put together those pieces before, I don't think it's a stretch to be able to put together. I don't think it's a stretch to be able to add some of these services. So let me ask you this question. I mean, I'm not sure if you've had time or you've done some thinking around that is, what is the difference between a human in the loop for data refinement? And what I'm hearing right now is synthetic way of doing this. So there is, let's say, I wanna check the quality of something, let's say call it a text because that's my background. You can either do it synthetically or you can have a human check it. Have you done any thinking on this one or what's the... Yeah, I, I, I used to be in an LSP that did a lot of this type of work and had actually built their own QA sort of checker that did that automated a lot of the QA process. And the thinking I've done on that is that there's... In, in QA at the scale that I've seen translation... It's never done at 100%. It's always, it's always a sliver of the translation work is actually QA'd to the last degree. And I think that that's going to be the same whether it's a tool or not. What I've seen in, what I've seen a, from the LSP that I was working with is that even when they had an automated tool, the amount of checking they did, the amount of QA they did was still on a subset of the total work. So even if it's mm -hmm. not a, 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 a yeah even if it's not a translation job, and it's a it's an AI job, the same amount of of QA work is being done. And so I heard also I was doing some digging and I found that there is also companies are generating you know how we you were mentioning earlier the you know some of the aspects of feeding that data to another company so they can action that data or use it in their systems, be it voice in the case that you mentioned earlier, or be real data, like whatever the data is, to train another engine. Some of those data, it's synthetically being produced as well. So not necessarily not necessarily a data that it's produced or originated in a manual way. Yep. In some cases, you're training something on a particular subject and you don't have enough data to get to, to, to feed the engine or you know, something is happening, there is a way now to produce that synthetically. Have you seen that? And what was the success of that one? Yeah, I have. And I, I can't comment on the success rate, but I will say, I'll give you the example. I'll use the example of call center data. Call center data can be, and obviously is, created organically, but those interactions, the conversations between people, you can train a AI engine to be able to to be able to produce those conversations synthetically, and it's not that difficult. But it's not it's it's two different buckets, and it's not what I'm seeing my end clients want. They want organic, original conversations. There's really a thirst out there for data and organic original data because once you start training things on, on on synthetic data, you introduce a myriad of potential issues. You introduce a myriad of potential false positives and you're using machine data to train machine data and it's just not as, as potent. 
And, and, and one of the things, Matt, sorry, I'm, I'm, I have so many questions yes, yes. for you this morning on this topic. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the things is that when we talk about data that comes to mind, because, you know, the legal aspect of that, meaning that, you know, one of the things that, you know, GPD, GTPR, I guess the European laws and the American laws and the Canadian laws, you know, around the privacy of information, of personal information. And so how is that being dealt with when we're talking about that massive amount of data being either, you know, processed in a way versus another, but you still have personal data there. Who is, you know, from a, from a, from a responsibility, from a legal perspective, how did you guys contemplate that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it really has to be addressed at the source level, meaning the call centers that are collecting the data really have to be responsible for redacting any personal information. It can't, the data can't be sold then redacted because I think that you get into, you can get into some trouble there. So when it's, when it's real, when it's real data, you really just have to make sure that you're getting it redacted and that you're not crossing any lines there. But if you've got good sources at good call centers, then they should be, this is a revenue stream for them. It's a new revenue stream for them. They want to make these partnership deals. So they're willing to redact the data and then it becomes valuable to them. And so for... I guess I did also like just to figure out, you know, we normally in the localization industry go to the localization manager for our company and go sell our services to them or, you know, marketing, HR, et cetera, from a targeting perspective, from who is your customer basically for this particular service. But that changes in an organization that is, if you change your services and, and, and you've been through this, so what is, has been your experiences from shifting, you know, who the buyers are to the new buyer. And I know you and I worked together in sales before. So how, how, how did you manage that? It is, it is tough and it is a different buyer. I think the, if you've got a good relationship with your localization manager at that company, they're a good inroad. They could certainly help you find the right person, but it's usually, you know, a VP or director of AI or machine learning or something like that, or it could be you know, Microsoft, we all know, is famous for everyone's a pro programmer or project manager. So there could be, a, you know, 100,000 project managers at, at, at Microsoft, and one of them is responsible for this. So you really have to do a lot of work and a lot of digging. And it's about, you know this, it's about relationship building and, you know, finding the, the right person and who you know who knows that person and building a relationship with them. And, and, you know, the one thing that is, I guess, you know, when I was thinking about this topic, it came to mind is the ability to present yourself in a new way to a customer that you've been dealing with for so many years. So for so many years, let's say customer A knows you as the language service provider. Yep. And then all of a sudden now you got to walk into the same buying group or the same company and you're going to say, you know, I'm the expert in doing another service, in this case, AI-related services. So is that a big chasm to cross or not not, not necessarily? Or I don't think so. And I, and I think we talked about this a little bit earlier in the call, that it's not a far leap for the, the, the workflow for AI collection, redaction, annotation, labeling, 
for any one of those categories that you gave earlier, Robin, for any one of those sort of service levels or areas that you gave earlier is relatively the same as localization. It's not the same seven or 10 steps, but it's a very similar seven to 10 steps where you've got, you know, an initial guiding document, sort of like a, what am I thinking of? A, that'll come to me. I'll, I'll remind you later. I was thinking of a, a style guide and glossary. So you've got a guidance document, like a style guide and glossary that's going to guide the project. And then you've got a round of, of service A and a round of service B and a round of service D, like translation, editing, and proof. So it's very similar. I don't think the chasm is that big. Okay. Now from a, you know, I was just also yesterday, I was going through this and I, I'm not sure if you agree with this. I was just trying to figure out like who would buy, you know, these types of services now, now knowing that this industry has 19,000 companies and not all of them is going to jump in on this conversation. I get that. And I'm not encouraging anybody if they don't want to, they don't have to just two buddies having a conversation this morning, but there are, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, language technology and AI companies are big buyer of this stuff. Also, e-commerce and retail companies are now, you know, seeing the light in terms of the usability of AI and how can that reduce their costs, et cetera. Retail tend to be a, a penny pinching kind of an industry where you, you have a lot of costs you need to cover and anything that you can do to save costs, you're going to be jumping on that, on that, on that opportunity. And also so, social media and tech giants are big buyers of, of that stuff too. I also found healthcare now and medical and tech medical tech companies are buying AI services like crazy finance, FinTech automotive, autonomous driving vehicles and autonomous yeah. driving companies or who are involved in that. Not necessarily the company that makes the, the, comp the company that makes the, the, uh, the car or the, or the, the automobile. However, the supply chain that feeds into that, be it a software, be it a hardware, built-in soft between software into the hardware, those individuals or those companies are craving for data services. And also gaming now and entertainment. It's it's also big on this one. And telecommunication, it's it's also, and you mentioned call centers earlier, networking companies that they are in the networking business. I imagine like I don't know if many people know that, but you know, I've had my network training when I was a system engineer working for the telephone company in with Cisco. So I would imagine, you know, you know, an IO, you know, ability to configure a router today using AI is much easier than back in the days where I had to log into the interface and code every IP address into the IO into the operating system. So it's much easier now using those tools, but you need data to train it. Energy and utility, it's another buyer too. Energy and utility are buying stuff in the AI data sets, et cetera. Aerospace and aviation, I mean, that's gotta be, that's gotta be up there too. Manufacturing industrial companies, like I'm thinking, you know, I've seen, I've done some site visits to manufacturing facilities and I've seen manufacturing facilities full of robots building things. So those robots operate on a certain software. So I'm assuming down the road, the operator will have less to deal with the robot and the robot will use AI to be managed and self-autonomous to, to a certain extent, but they need data sets to power them. Yep. Did I miss anybody? 
No, I think that was, it's, it's funny listening to you go through that. It was, it's, it's almost, it's very similar to the industries that buy translation. It just exactly like they're all buying translation. Now we just have to inch up a little bit and make sure you, make sure you, you know, don't put the, the, how did they say that in English? Don't put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, horse, horse. which one goes first nailed down before you have that conversation. Exactly. And the, the one tip I would say, and this is not necessarily a mistake I made, but something that, that I learned is that start with the data. There's a lot of companies that'll potentially buy it, but start with relationships with data providers and have something to offer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in terms of, you know, for you, like Boston AI, like looping a little bit to what you do and what's your goals and objectives so what, what's your goals and objective now that you're starting this new company, Matt, for the near term and the long term? So what you're hoping to see, what is your desire here in terms of seeing this new initiative? Yeah, I think that, that this, this conversation has sort of been a good reflection of, of what those goals and, and aspirations are, especially the, the last few minutes. And starting with some of the examples I gave, meaning I'm I'm focused this year on, I would say a handful of potential customers on a handful of potential deals and really hitting those out of the park, solidifying relationships with, uh, with data providers and providing that data and, and hitting those few initial opportunities out of the park. Next year, my goal is to really broaden the horizon and focus more on those sort of tangentiary industries that you were mentioning that aren't just focused on call center data, but are looking for data on autonomous driving or data on manufacturing or, you know, data on social media. So really finding new data sources that allow us to explore relationships with new companies and new, new partners. And you're located in Boston, right? It was with the company it's Boston AI. So it has to be in Boston, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So we're about a half an hour outside of Boston in a town called Hudson. Okay. Okay. And your team, is it, and you know, this is again, most of us manage because of the nature of the business that we're in, manage teams that they're not necessarily located close to home, remote. They can be working from anywhere. I'm assuming you're the same thing or you're more Everyone's like close virtual. to home. Everyone's virtual. We have, we have people all over the country. Great. Now to make sure that we're addressing everything particular to your, to Boston AI right now. What do you like the audience to do if they are interested in finding out more, talking to you, maybe engaging in subsequent conversation about the, about the business? Yeah. Um, you can, what, what do you think we should do next? You can find me on, on LinkedIn at, at Matt, M-A-T-T, Grotenstein, G-R-O-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. You can find the company at boston.ai. It's a very easy domain address to find, and there's ways to, to reach out and contact someone through the website as well. Excellent. So for all of our audience here and just coming to an end, I wanted to make sure that we, I, we thank Matt for joining me this morning on behalf of the audience, on behalf of the, on behalf of everybody who listens to us, who would engage with our content, Matt, thank you so much for being with me this morning. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're an LSP in the industry, and you'd like some more information too, feel free to reach out to me as well. You know, there's, there's a, I, 
I, I feel like I've got a lot of relationships and I know a lot of people in the industry. So if you're part of my network or not part of my network and you'd like to learn a little bit more about the data and AI industry and especially transitioning or metamorphosizing your LSP into an AI company, let's certainly talk. Absolutely. Again, I want to thank Matt. Good to see you again, Matt, after so many years and always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like when the two of us get together, we've got a lot of ideas to bounce around. That's always great. And for our audience, thank you so much for joining me this morning on another episode of the Localization Fireside Chat. If you like what we do, if you like the content, please like, subscribe, comment, and share with, with people. I really appreciate your support. And it doesn't cost you much to like, press that like button. So we appreciate it. And until next time, this is Robin Ayub signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring, stay curious, and until next time, this is Robin Ayu. Keep those global conversations alive.